What do you want me to do? You just want me to hit you. Come on. Do me just one favor. Why? Why? I don't know why. I don't know. Never been in a fight. You? No, but that, that's a good thing. No, it is not. How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? I don't want to die without any scars. So come on. Hit me before I lose my nerve. Oh, God. This is crazy. So go crazy. Let her rip. Hey, I don't know about this. I don't either, but who gives a shit? No one's watching. What do you care? Wait, what? This is crazy. You want me to hit you? That's right. What, like in the face? <laughs> Surprise me. And immune to nearly any weapon. When it's properly used, it's almost invincible. Raw, I'ma give it to you with no trivia. Roll like cocaine straight from Bolivia. My hip hop will rock and shock the nation. Like the Emancipation Proclamation. We get MCs, a boat with slang is dead. The protagonist of the 1999 film Fight Club is Jack, played by Edward Norton. Jack has created what seems to be the perfect life for himself. He lives in a posh condo. He has a well-paying job in an office. His clothes are stylish and always well-pressed. He is a yuppie everyman. He tells us the following about how he has outfitted his condo. I had it all, even the glass dishes with the tiny bubbles and imperfections, proof that they were crafted by the honest, simple, hardworking, indigenous peoples of wherever. Jack, in short, has tried to create an idyllic life for himself, relying on secular and materialistic sources. But the story makes it apparent that Jack's quest for perfection through materialism and consumerism has left him empty and unfulfilled. When he opens up his refrigerator, all he finds inside is a jar of mustard, and he suffers from insomnia. On a long flight, Jack finds himself sitting next to Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt. Whereas Jack is a white-collar, well-groomed urbanite, Tyler Durden is an edgy, rebellious, Buddhistic soap salesman. When he shows Jack his apartment, he remarks, there's the mattress, there's the toilet, by way of a tour. He has no other furniture. The two opposites go out for a beer and end up drinking a few pitchers. In the parking lot outside, Tyler asks Jack to hit him as hard as he can. He wants to know what it feels like, as he's never been punched in the face before. Tyler then adds, I don't want to die without any scars. How much can you really know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? How much can you really know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? These words, spoken by Brad Pitt with his trademark cocksure smile, become the unspoken ideology of the group the two go on to form, known as Fight Club. In Fight Club, men come together and basically just fight each other, one-on-one, -on -one, taking punches to the face, walking or limping off with black eyes and bloody noses. For Jack, however, this fighting proves to be immensely therapeutic. The night after his first fight, he sleeps like a baby for the first time in years. The anxiety he used to feel at work dissipates. He enjoys a passionate sex life again and finds true camaraderie with the other men in the club. Jack ultimately learns that, ironically, the pain of taking an uppercut to the chin brings a strange pleasure. The intensity and danger of a fist fight leads to tranquility and calm. The senselessness of a brawl yields meaning and purpose. In short, Jack discovers that, in order to live a bountiful life, one must, we might say, 
throw oneself directly into the ring. You are listening to The Shrift, Life Tip 33, Jeremiah 17. My people's all you with me where you at, smoking meth, hitting cats on the block with the gap. About two centuries earlier, Goethe was working on his masterpiece, Faust. The two works, Faust and Fight Club, are not as dissimilar as they might seem. Faust opens up with Dr. Faust feeling just as unfulfilled and despairing as Jack does. While Jack has tried to fill up the emptiness in his existence with IKEA furniture, Faust has endeavored to fill his up through reading books. Faust has spent decades accumulating knowledge and degrees to construct meaning into his life's void. Just as Jack sits alone in his posh condo with his glass dishes with the tiny bubbles of imperfection, Faust sits in his tower surrounded by his books. Both men are equally unfulfilled, and Faust is actually suicidal. Enter the devil, Mephisto, a kind of opportunist genie. Mephisto tells Faust that he will give him anything he wishes so long as he, Mephisto, may have Faust's soul in the end. The Faust myth did not originate with Goethe. In fact, Faust was a medieval morality play which had been written and adapted many times before. Christopher Marlowe's Faust from the 16th century serves as one of these versions. In the typical Faust play, Dr. Faust promises his soul to Mephisto so that he may sin for the next 24 years. What ails this medieval Faust is his deficiency in licentious, bacchanalian behavior. The old Faust accepts the devil's offer, drinks and eats and steals and parties for 24 years, and then goes to hell. Goethe's Faust, however, is far more clever. He has no interest in parties or crime or wealth. What this modern Faust wants is to escape from his boring, tedious life. In short, he wants to live. In short, he wants his own fight club. Faust does not specifically want to fight. Rather, what he wishes is to add so much drama and intensity and even confusion to his life, such that he becomes fully engaged with life. This is ironic. Faust wants his life to be filled with difficult, even painful emotions, so that he may enjoy life. Goethe's Faust, then, devastatingly reverses the psychology of the Faust from previous centuries. Whereas the earlier Faust wanted pleasure, Goethe's Faust, just like Jack, wants pain. Mephisto says to Faust, quote, In this sense you can bet, prepare yourself for you in these next days, with great joy from my devilish arts, you can expect that I will give you what every human would amaze." Unquote. 
But Faust is unenthused by Mephisto's offer. He responds, Poor devil, what can you give me? Have you ever understood a human soul? You offer food which does not satisfy. Faust then tells Mephisto what he really wants. He says, Let us plunge into the rush of time, into the whirling of occurrences. Joy is not what I am after. I long for the dizziness of life. I want the most painful pleasures, the most beloved hatred, and refreshing frustration. And somehow the devil is able to provide for Faust. Faust gets what he wants. Mephisto's strategy is to get Faust to date dangerously. Mephisto has Faust drink a potion which will make him young and handsome again. He then causes the 15-year-old Gretchen to fall in love with Faust. While Gretchen's mother is away, Faust has sex with Gretchen, and she becomes pregnant. When her older brother, Valentine, learns of the pregnancy, he, he vows to avenge the dishonoring of his sister and hunts down Faust. With the help of Mephisto, however, Faust finds Valentine and stabs him to death. The once innocent and pure Gretchen enters into a deep depression and, in the end, murders her newborn baby. She is thrown into a dungeon and sentenced to death. The first act of the play concludes with Faust shrieking, All the misery of the world is mine. With these words, we may conclude that Faust has gotten exactly what he wished for. He discovered the solace of being punched in the face and he didn't even need Brad Pitt to make him realize it's what he needed. The Haftarah for the Parsha of Bechukotai comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapters 16 and 17. In this reading, Jeremiah laments and decries the destruction of the temple and the state to the Babylonian Empire. Jeremiah sees the fall of Judea, not in the power of the Babylonians, but in the degeneracy of the Hebrew nation. In one particularly poignant verse, Jeremiah cries, Cursed is the man who places his trust in humankind itself, who makes flesh his arm, whose heart hides from God, for he will be like a tamarisk in the wilderness. The late chief rabbi of England, Dr. J.H. Hertz, has described the tamarisk tree as follows. Quote, a small juniper tree, starved and stunted, and deprived of vivifying water, just hanging on to a miserable life. Such are those who rely entirely on human aid. Unquote. This, this description of the tamarisk tree exactly fits both Jack and Faust. Both attempt to make, we might say, little religions out of themselves and out of their lives. In the case of Jack, this was to have the perfectly decorated condo. With Faust, it was to have attained a mastery of book knowledge. In very subtle ways, they attempted to create their own Tower of Babel within the orbit of their inconspicuous existences. They have become tamarisks, trees which, because they grow in the desert, are contorted, ever thirsty, and stunted yet convinced that one day they will stretch across the sky like the oak. Goethe's modern insight was to realize that one need not be a stereotypical sinner 
gorging himself on sex and money and food and crime, to be just as devilish, if not more so, as Scarface or Woolsey. What are these folks to do? How might they stop making flesh their arm? The immediate answer to this question is that they should dissolve their egos, halt their striving, accept their humanness, and turn toward God. This was indeed the strategy of Raskolnikov and St. Augustine. But Fight Club and Goethe and also Nietzsche offer us an alternative solution. We must fight, date, or dance. Through fighting, Jack let go of control. He placed himself in an environment of such emotional intensity that his tamarisk was uprooted and relocated to grassland. Faust adopted the same strategy through what I would call dangerous dating. He brought onto himself the joyful pain which comes from the courtship of the opposite sex. In Faust's case of dating, it was admittedly extreme, as his ailment itself was extreme. In order to escape his despair, he needed to impregnate a 15-year-old, murder her brother, and then watch her go insane after murdering her newborn baby. To Faust, we could say, be careful what you wish for. But Faust assessed the cure and the disease going in, and informally decided that the cure would be better than the disease. When he cries, all the misery in the world is mine, at the end of the first act of the play, he is both wailing and rejoicing. And finally, there is Nietzsche's strategy to dance. Throughout Nietzsche's philosophical work, he continually implores his readers to dance. Just dance. He even goes so far as to say that he would only believe in a god who knows how to dance. Obviously, anyone can just get up and dance. Or can they? Not in the way Nietzsche means it. To really dance, one must have jumped into the mindset of a fighter or a dater. One must have entered a mental state in which thinking falls away, forgetfulness becomes chronic, and every evening contains the peaked drama of the final act of a Shakespearean tragedy. Only then will emotions replace logic, and will the mind allow the body to finally dance. The strategy of fight, date, or dance may seem to be rebellious and atheistic, a secular solution to those for whom the preferable choice, God, is not an option. Yet, if we look more closely at Faust and Jeremiah, we may find that this secular strategy is aligned with the religious one. Faust concludes when Dr. Faust is a truly old man. Goethe spends his entire life writing Faust, and died in 1832, just after finally completing it. As the play ends, Faust remains attached to his own life story, to his own goals, plans, and ambitions. Mephisto expects that he will now at last get Faust's soul. Yet, something strange occurs. Faust, despite never practicing religion, never believing in the divine, and never praying, is saved by God. God, it would seem, does not really care how we connect to him. He does not necessarily need us to continually remind him how great he is. Faust, by throwing himself into his life through dating and other ventures to be sure, discovered a way to pray to God through his mode of being. I believe that the verse in Jeremiah expresses the same idea. 
Jeremiah had said that cursed is the man who places his trust in humankind itself, who makes flesh his arm, whose heart hides from God, for he will be like a tamarisk in the wilderness. When we place our trust in humankind itself, we hide our heart from God. We may state this concept in another way as well. If we are not hiding our hearts from God, then we are not placing our trust in humankind itself. This mantra exactly captures the strategy taken on by Jack and Faust. In Jack's case, it was to fight. In Faust's case, it was to date. Both of these activities subject one to the full array of human emotions, fear, joy, shame, sadness, and perhaps most of all, disappointment. When we put ourselves into situations in which we guarantee that our emotions will be incited, we let go of the false faith in humankind and entrust our hearts to God. The essential property which fighting, dating, and dancing all have in common is that they compel us to let go of thinking and charge more fully into the present moment. Both Buddhism and Taoism equally stress the importance of letting go of the thinking. Buddhism advocates letting go by watching thoughts pass by like clouds, but not identifying with them, instead just observing them. Taoism is a bit different. It does not teach us to sit back and watch the thoughts, but rather, instead, to cultivate a childlike, simplistic, and forgetful mind. The child's mind is blessed to underthink, not because the child actively lets go of thoughts, but rather because the child's mind is so unsophisticated that it never needs to experience these thoughts in the first place. When we are fighting, dating, or dancing, we are not meditating. Rather, we are living. In this sense, then, Fight Club, Faust, and Zarathustra draw far more inspiration from the Tao than they do from the Buddha. Try!